Let's do this. The Cult of Hot Podcast by the Faithful and for the Faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? I'm all right. A little, little shaken up. I, I caught the beginning of that great big fire here in St. Albert tonight. That, uh, um, we were out on St. Albert Road and, and the uh, uh, fire trucks were pulling up left and right and uh, there was smoke pouring out of the top of this uh, big seniors complex just in the, just in the uh, north end of town in Erin Ridge. And it looked like it was getting worse. And then a little while later, uh, my wife showed me a, a photograph from it and the fire had breached through the roof and it was a, just a full-on blaze of a, you know, a huge condominium project you know had to be hundreds of units in there i think of the whole thing i don't know how much of it will be damaged but it will be extensive and expensive and bigger worries about the you know the health and safety of the residents so that uh that kind terrible through my day in the wrong direction in a quick hurry i guess there's and a there. big fire out in parkland county too the winds are high and it's dry and it's yeah. spring and it's the same time of year as Slave Lake and Fort McMurray. You know, this time of year scares yeah. me. So we can use a rain. High winds. We need a big rain. Yeah. So, Bruce, Oilers lost 6-3 tonight to the mm. Vancouver Canucks. Minor issue. Minor issue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it actually was a minor issue. Let's just get right at it. Let's let's plow through this podcast, Bruce. Uh, kind mm. of a nothing game. So, uh we won't mail it in, but we will uh, we'll probably keep it fairly short tonight. Two good things, two bad things, and two numbers. We might go with two good things, two bad things each if we can think of them. There is okay. no shortage of them. What's your good thing? Yeah, uh, my good thing is that this game is absolutely meaningless. And in many senses, it's a, it's like a preseason game, uh, you know, where you're trying to get your team ready for the start of the season. The owners are now at that stage where they're trying to get their team ready for the playoffs. And obviously, how they play tonight is not the readiness that they have in mind. But this is time for uh, experimenting and, and learning a few things. And uh, Dave Tippett probably saw a few things that he might learn off of, of tonight's game. But I guess, that, you know, the big picture good thing is that the Oilers have got themselves in such a comfortable position that a win or a loss in this game or that game is not life or death. And this game obviously got away on them very early. And they did push back and they, you know, they they uh, uh, they got a lot of pucks on net and they, uh, uh, they amped up the physicality a little bit. You know, this, there was a little, bit of, a little bit of bad blood in this game, but they just couldn't get it together. But... It just don't matter, you know. But they didn't get the two points tonight. They're 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 going to finish more than two points out of first and more than two points ahead of third, and it's just on the cutaway. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Bruce, uh, my good thing will be three points for Connor McDavid, mm-hmm. and I think as the game went on, that became the main plot for most Oilers fans is how many points is he going to get? And he really came alive um, in this game as it went along. He was he was jumping, and I, he, the Oilers got angry in this game, mainly because of some of the antics of the Canucks, or they just played the Canucks three, you know, 
This is their third game against this team. They, maybe both teams hate each other uh, with with a little bit of good reason for back and forth, um, questionable if he plays or just hard hits, whatever you want to call them. The, the hit on Chase on early in the game I thought was a pretty questionable hit. It kind of ignited things tonight. Headshot? Uh, center, it was in the middle of the ice, yeah. yeah and uh, he didn't have the, really didn't have the puck. I think, though, you know, it was interesting. I saw them in the penalty box. Uh, Hamannick and um, Chase on, and I can't read their lips, but it looked to me like Hamannick was explaining what he did and maybe apologizing and Chase on accepting it. Chase on got calmer and was nodding his head in agreement. I, I think I you could know. see that, but maybe I misread that entirely, but that's what it looked like to me um, happened there. Who two, knows? Two honest veterans, David, and I, I, I yeah. can, they certainly yeah. had a, 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 a disagreement. <laughs> <laughs> that manifested itself quickly when uh, Chason got hit basically very high, close to the head, in open ice, and he responded by going after uh, Hamannick. It wasn't really much of a fight, but uh, uh, I can understand, you know, they would be sort of explaining how the play was from each other's point of view, and, and uh, uh, maybe, maybe they did come to an agreement, well, this is what happened, it was, you know, Partly an accident, or he didn't mean to do it, or what have you. Anyway, um, Chase on did look like he'd cooled down a little bit. He sure was a little ticked at first, though, eh? <laughs> well, he's worried about his, you know, worried about being injured on a play like that, and, and quite rightly. So McDavid has 96 points now in 52 games. Bruce, he needs mm -hmm. only four points in four games. What do you think? Do is that possible? Can he get that to get to 100? Four points in four games? It seems yeah. uh, seems doable. Seems possible, it? yeah, within the realm. What's your... 33 in his last 13 games now? <laughs> that's more that's than it. a point a game by my math. and that's, He only needs a point a game the rest of the way, so... 33 in 13 games, I mean, that's Gretzky territory, two and a half points a game. Is it two more games against Vancouver and two against Calgary? Yes. Or two against Montreal? Two against yeah. Montreal, Okay. They play Vancouver here here this Saturday and next Saturday. In between times, they fly down to Montreal to make up the, the okay. last two of that three-game set that got cancelled that caused all this grief in the first place. Uh, what's your bad thing, first bad thing? Oh, man. Well, it's pretty hard not to point the finger at uh, uh, Mikko Koskinen tonight. Uh, they were saying on the broadcast, and I... We earlier said the same thing. I can't remember if I've ever seen a goalie come and face four shots and make no saves. I've seen three, certainly seen two many times, four shots, four goals against. And after the fourth one, he blew his tank top. He knew he'd have a, had a bad night, and he certainly had a little outburst there on the stick and the goalpost and everything. And if Dave Tippett wasn't already three-quarters away to pulling him. A sight of uh, calm, cool, collected Mikko Koskinen having a meltdown like that probably prompted him to get him the hell out of there because uh, the third and fourth goals in particular were stoppable shots. third one hit him in the blocker and popped up in the air and came down in the net. I don't know how the heck that one got away on. It looked like he got a good, solid piece of blocker on it, and it just... Had a magnet for the net, and then the fourth one was off his sloppy play in the middle of the slot, and there's just a quick shot that basically went right through him. And you know, to be honest, he didn't have a lot of defensive support. The first first goal, 30 seconds in, 
second game in a row that Vancouver scored right off the right off the top. And that one I wouldn't put on the goalie, but I would put it on the sloppy sloppy coverage that let uh, Nils Hoaglander was it come in and make a yeah. real good, real good shot. Yeah. But things just went sideways from there, and like I say Koskinen comes away with a save percentage of point zero zero zero, and that is not. I wonder if Kurt will give him a one. I think he has to. Like he didn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, if he had one stop, maybe you could say, well. <laughs> That's true. I, I would give, I would give him a one. I wouldn't have a choice. You know? If you want to be charitable, you have no real choice in the matter. Yeah. yeah, what can you do? What can you, you're not left with anything. Except for, you know, you try to, ha- again, like you, there's just, you might want to have some pity for the guy. I mean, yeah. The three meter man broke two meters of uh, goalie stick there. I've never seen, he's such a cool oh, customer. Yeah, it was, I, it was shocking I think, to see, really. I haven't seen much emotion. Like, you can see sometimes he gets frustrated a little bit. Like, and uh, he, he I, I like, he seems such a nice, even tempered, kind of yeah. gentle giant of a person. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like him, uh, his demeanor. But man, he, I don't know if, like, was he, he probably did that before Tippett pulled him, eh? Like, Oh yeah, well, he, yeah. I think it was the goal. It wasn't uh, being pulled. It, it precipitated that, was it? So no, no, I, he was mad after the goal, and I think Tippett probably would have pulled him at that point anyway. I kind of thought he might after the third goal. Yeah, but after the fourth one, he almost had no choice. And certainly, if he was mulling it over, once he saw Costin having the meltdown, it was pretty clear it was time to get him the heck out of there. And yeah, it was uh, it was kind of shocking to see, you know, like. Like you say, Koskinen's a pretty, pretty cool customer, but tonight he just did not have it. And what would be frustrating from his perspective is that basically he hasn't played, you know, two starts out of three, which he got, right? He played Monday, he won that game, played again on Thursday. Usually he's waiting like 10, 14 days between starts the way that uh, Tippett's been leaning on Smith so hard. And here he finally got a chance to play a second game in a few days apart after the first one. Yeah, and it did not go well. My, I, my, I didn't disagree with him being pulled, especially after he gets like he he's just so frustrated. But my bad thing is him being pulled. Um, it's just you, I just it's a nothing game. Smith needs the rest. It's it's just bad. I'm not saying it's a bad decision by Tippett. It's just it's just a bad circumstance for the Oilers to have that happen where the goalie who needs rest, maybe Koskinen can now come back and play. Is it Saturday's game? Start him Saturday. Yeah, start, get, get him right Another back. Nothing game. And get Smith the rest that he, he should have. Like, I just think keep Smith is just playing every second game at most. So uh, put it, put Koskinen in that and have Smith play Montreal in the, in the first game. So yeah, that's my bad thing. What's your second bad thing, Bruce? Yeah, I'm going to single out uh, Dmitry Kulikov just for too many, uh, <clears throat> casual um, turnovers of the puck, mm-hmm. and his his puck his puck um, management is uh, giving me the jitters. I mean, I, I I like him fine without the puck, uh, but I thought he'd be better moving it. And he's had you know he's had some good moments moving it, but uh, he's just having too many turnover issues and. Uh, uh, I think we dinged him on as uh, one of his turnovers leading to a goal and another 
defensive error on another goal, and it just wasn't a real strong night for him. Yeah, there is some issues with him and his puck handling, and we'll see if they continue. I mean, Tippett's taken this all in, and he has, of course, the reliable veteran Chris Russell, uh, who's getting some probably well-needed uh, R&R here to heal his body up after another rough season at, what, age 34? Yeah. So uh, it's it's great to have Kulikov. It's good to see what he can do, and it's been kind of up and down. Um, fairly strong defensively. You know, tonight was one of the first times he's made a mistake where it wasn't a turnover. You know, tonight he did he failed right. to cover that guy on the slot on the fourth goal. Didn't get mm-hmm. out there fast enough. But he the the first one was a turnover and led to chaos and and a goal. And that was you know this that second goal getting down two nothing that early in the game on a turnover like that was not great for the Oilers. And uh, that was on Kulikov. Bruce, my my. Uh, Second bad thing is the only real offense to speak of, I, I'm going to suggest that the orders got, was from the top players tonight. And the second, third, and fourth lines, I know they might, some of them might look good on terms of their shots for and against that kind of thing, but they didn't really manufacture uh, that many grade A chances. I think Chase on got one. Um, Yamamoto got one. Uh, but he was on the ice with McDavid at the time. He, McDavid led a, a breakout, and Yamamoto got one. And um, so all the other ones, pretty much, as far as I can see here, just going over our list, were created by um, the top-line guys at even strength and on the power play. Just not good enough from those those lines. You, to win this game, to come back in this game, which was very doable when they were down 4-2, I mean, you could hope that the power play would keep cashing in and do it for the Oilers, but you can't count on that every game. And these other players have got to find a way to score now, and then they didn't tonight. They didn't really um, threaten to score that much. And um, they let, whereas McDavid was intense all game long and pushing, 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 I don't think I necessarily saw that same kind of intensity from uh, some of the players on the second, third, and fourth lines. I mean, you could just say, well, he's got McDavid has so much more skill, and they lack that. But I, I also do think there was some, some bite lacking uh, in their games. Yeah, you know, I mean, they can't just be leaning on the first line for everything. I mean, it, it's it's getting more and more that way. I mean, um, um, McDavid has been in now on oh boy, what is it? Uh, 32 of their last 43 goals it's like 75 percent or something like that it's ridiculous like it's 50 percent is is sort of almost at the extreme you don't often see more than 50 percent but uh, but mcdavid has taken it to uh uh you know they're they're not doing much unless he's involved in it and i guess it's you know the downside issue and they, they're going to need to do better than that because you know David's going to get a lot of attention in the playoffs. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think it's. I don't know. They might try to. They might want to try the RNH line against Montreal um, if they want to see if that line can can function against a really strong checking team. I don't like honestly. If I was a betting man, I would say no. That's not going to happen. And I I think they should just get back to sp- splitting the top two up and trying some different combinations out for the rest of the year with McDavid and Drysaddle on different lines. I mean. Uh, Pulley is showing himself to be a very capable line mate at this point for Connor McDavid. And it might be a vote of confidence in some ways to 
make him the main winger on that line, the main shooting option, passing option for McDavid. But we'll we'll see what happens in that regard. What is your number, Bruce? Yeah, I'm going to go with the number 44. I'm just kind of pulling this out of the air, but this is um, a power play goal scored by Leon Dreisaitl over the course of the last three seasons. And with the one that he scored tonight, his 12th of the current season, which is just one off the NHL lead, and over the last three seasons now, 44 power play goals, the number one power play sniper in the NHL, one ahead of David Pasternak, four ahead of Alex Ovechkin, five ahead of Steven Stamkos. I mean, we're talking major snipers everywhere. And Leon is such a weapon on the power play, and he's got such a lethal shot that's almost always on the net and has a lot of power and accuracy and just such a such a great quick release that the goalies can't get set for it. And that's what we uh, uh, that's what we saw again tonight. He's he's just uh, such a lethal finisher. And for such a great passer to also be such a lethal finisher. I mean, it's, it's such a such a joy to have a sort of a, a running mate. He's not even the top star on the team as it's constructed. You know, he's just the MVP. <laughs> I mean, that, the, 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 the wealth of riches that Oilers and Oilers fans have with these two top, top-level offensive gunners is, is uh, uh, you know, we, we should never lose sight of, the, of how good we have it. And, you know, we get snarky here and there when they get beat on this play or that play, but, uh, boy, they just keep on producing. And... Uh, Leon, after scoring just two goals in the previous 10 games, I just did a segment review, and it was very rare for him. He only had two games in, in between games 41 and 50, two goals. He had a hat-trick in game number 40, previous segment. Now he started off game 51, two goals, game 52, two goals, and he's immediately kind of made up whatever little deficit he had from that little slide. He just doesn't stay cold for long. And when he warms up again, he scores in bunches. Yeah, that shot, especially the second one, that, that one time. <laughs> that I mean, was actually even strength, yeah. Was it? He should yeah, have was... a he should have a black hood over his head, man, because that's the executioner's shot. It's like he's got the goalie's head on the block and he's just coming down with a hatchet on those shots, Bruce. Like, it's, it's the executioner move. And uh, what a shooter. We, I mean, we have seen a shooter like this once before in Edmonton. And uh, in Yari Curry, but mm-hmm. imagine this: we we we're seeing it again, and uh, with with a setup man who's the greatest man and greatest player in hockey setting him up. Uh, so Yari Curry had that also, and he did exactly. So um, first, my number is uh, it's on. Uh, Pulleyarvi scored a beautiful goal tonight. Wow. Absolutely, and this is the second time, the second time in the last little while. Again, another executioner shot. You, you know, just the seam, the uh, low high seam pass, seam pass, and bam in the net on the one timer. And um, he can do that. You know, he's 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 got to work on it. Uh, he's, but it's nice to see that shot in his repertoire. And uh, if, if he can bring it out more and more, that bodes well for him. And my number, Bruce is related to that goal. It was his 14th goal, and every time he scores, he gets sets a new high. His old high was 12. He has 14 goals in 51 games. And the interesting thing is that um, throughout his career, 
yes, Apulia RV has compared unfavorably and very unfavorably at times to the players drafted just around him. Uh, his old line mate on the Finnish junior team, Patrick Liney, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who leapt ahead of uh, the draft order, to many people's surprise when Columbus took him over Pliorvi, kind of upset the Oilers' plans at that moment. They were going to take Mikhail Sergachev, I believe. And uh, and Matthew Kachuk, who Flames fans who have forever lorded it over fans that the Oilers took Pliorvi and, and the Flames got Kachuk. Well, Bruce, Pliorvi has 14 goals in 51 games this year. Patrick Liney has 12 goals in 42 games. Pierre-Luc Dubois has nine goals in 42 games, and Matthew Kachuk has 10 goals in 51 games. Now, you could say, well, Pugliarvi's playing with McDavid all the time, the greatest player in the game, and you'd expect that. And that is a, that's a fair comment. That is a valid point. I'm going to suggest he's getting less power play time than, at, than, at, least, than at least Liony and Kachuk. I don't know about Dubois. That it, it, he might not be on the top power play. But uh, way less power play time than those other guys. And they also play with good line mates, all of those guys. It's not like they're with chalk liver out there on the fourth line. They're on either the first or second line of their teams. So um, that is a dramatic turn of events. How many people, Bruce, if you if would would have taken the bet that this season, Yessa Pugliarvi would outscore all three of Patrick Liney, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Matthew Kachuk? No one would have, no one, not even... Uh, some of some of Pugliarvi's Finnish fans that we converse with on Twitter, uh, you know, Valkyrie and Mary Lee Longborg, I think, are the two, the two that come to mind. I don't even know if they would have taken, they wouldn't, <laughs> who would take that bet? But he's done it. He's doing it. Congratulations, Jesse. Two pretty sharp observers of hockey also. But yeah, we'll leave the name of Austin Matthews out of that conversation. Yes, yes, we will. But he's never that. been compared to that. So. And we'll also leave out the name of Alex DeBrincat, who was also picked in that draft, 39th overall. Like a round anyway, after all these other guys, and he's yeah. well over 20 now. But uh, Anyone you know, could have had him. <laughs> no, really. I mean, every team had a chance to draft the rink. It's, it's, he wasn't in the, the conversation at the top. Yeah. But anyway, of, of the 2016 draft, if you talk about snipers, I think you have to start with Matthews and Debrinkat and then bring in these other, these other, well, Langley obviously is in the conversation, but he's, I think, sure it's gone sideways for him uh, this year. Getting traded to uh, Tortorella's team was not exactly. Uh, the break his career was looking for let's put it that way but yeah yes it's up to 14 uh 10 assists 24 points plus seven uh all but two of his goals at even strength so uh when it comes to uh, even strength goals he's fourth on the team behind uh mcdavid dry saddle nurse and then jp so that first round talent man that's where your goals come from eh certainly on this team yeah, and, and what a huge, uh, I mean, we both know from following hockey for a long time that when a team gets a draft pick in the top five, top three especially, or I guess Pugliarvi was fourth, but when they, when you get a high pick like that, you've got to hit on it. You can't, you, it just sets your franchise back, even if, even when, with as many top picks as the orders, it sets your franchise back considerably like the Yakupov draft pick did and those things just they they hurt you for years and um they they keep you hurting so for him to 
make good on his promise. I mean, let's when you start to look at their last draft picks, Bruce, I mean, Holloway, Broberry, they're untold stories, but I'm going to suggest both of them are trending in the right direction. Bouchard trending in the right direction. And then before that, you, have, you know, you have Yamamoto, yep. uh, um, uh, Puglio RV, McDavid, Dreisaitl and Nurse. So, you know, Craig McTavish is drafting of Dreisaitl and, and Nurse, just monumental right. for the franchise. Yeah. And, you know, not not the first overall, overall picks, but high picks, nailed them. And now these other guys, they seem to be all coming around. They all look like players to me so far. So the future could be bright, Bruce. Brighter. Well, it's frightening all the time. And, I mean, to throw out a result from now, from tonight, I mean, uh, going into tonight's game, they won two, lost one. One, two, lost one. One, two, lost one. One, three, no, lost one. I mean, they're, they're consistently putting together these short winning streaks, and they seem to always stop the losing streaks at one game. Like I wrote about today, they've had, uh, since end of January, They've only had two times where they've lost more than one game in a row in, in over three months. And they just wow. put out the fire after the after the first loss. They bounced back to the win, and then typically they'll put another win or two on top of that. So this year they've had six winning streaks of three games or longer and one losing streak of three games. Of course, everybody remembers that three-game sweep by Toronto, but that's the only three-game losing streak of the entire season for the Oilers. So... They've, uh, this is a, a sign of a strong team that when they do have a bad performance, and they did tonight, uh, they're, they're very likely to come back with a strong showing in the very next game. Alrighty, we'll talk then, Bruce. Next game, Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, Saturday night against Vancouver. Vancouver Canucks, I can't wait to see them. Neither can I. I'm sure lots of things will change between, when was the last time? They, oh, right, tonight. Yeah. Anyway, this is definitely the slogging time of the season. It's all makeup games. Uh, really, the, tonight was the first of five makeup games against Vancouver and Montreal that close out the, the season. And fortunately, they don't mean a whole lot, but that's, that's, that's a double-edged sword. Like, you'd like to see some, some meaningful hockey. You don't want to get too many bad habits. But at least they probably got a couple of those bad habits out in the open tonight that uh, Coach Tippett can go to work on. Yeah, I see some of the teams, some of the playoff teams, unfortunately, are going to be a little bit more rested, although by the time they would ever face the orders, like Pittsburgh's played 55 games. Um, Toronto, so, but it's pretty good in the Canadian, at least. Toronto's play, Toronto and Montreal played 53 each, and uh, Winnipeg and Edmonton, 52. And the good news tonight, Bruce, Montreal lost, so that was... Uh, Winnipeg now is two points ahead with a game in hand, and they have some games, I understand, against the Canucks coming up. So um, we'll see how that goes. And Winnipeg's got the tiebreaker also, so Montreal has to pass them. And I, I now suddenly seems unlikely that uh, Montreal Less. will. It, Less looks, it, it looked likely for a while that Winnipeg was just going to crash and burn right out of third place, but this last couple of days has really turned that around. And I'm not underestimating the Jets. They can beat the Oilers. Let's. Yeah, well, it's a, you know all, every series. Every series in the Canadian, I think, is a is a pretty much a coin flip. And I say that about Montreal. I, I, I give them their due, even though they have 24 wins and 29 losses, if you include their overtime losses, and they're minus six on goal differential. But it's just going to be a. 
bugger to play those guys, Bruce, because they're that's a big, physical, nasty, dirty team. And in the playoffs, whoever gets them in the first round, like I just hope it's not the Oilers. So the Jets are equally capable of beating uh, the Oilers as Montreal is. But when you're done with the Jets, I don't think it's going to be quite the black and blue series that we're going to see with uh, whoever plays the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, well, Montreal got in the headlines the very first game of the season when they were laying the lumber on uh, Austin Matthews there in Toronto. And Toronto was complaining, and with justification about the treatment Matthews was getting, he was getting cross-checked by, uh, uh, I think it was Sherratt that was doing the number on him. And, of course, we saw the same thing uh, last game here when Shea Weber was that was had free reign to lay as many cross-checks as possible on Leon Drysaddle, and it was the same thing. And we were kind of bitter that night, and again, with some justification. They play a, a rough style, and they got a lot of veterans that know how to work the referees, and they know how to work the situations, and they certainly know how to work the lumber. <laughs> <laughs> they got more lumber than totem. All right, Bruce, <laughs> thanks for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.